Hello and welcome to Romance Isn't Dead, episode 28, Wrangling Words. I'm Sally. And I'm Ray. How are we doing, Ray? I don't like winter. You don't like winter? <laughs> so no, for our been rainy and cold. Yes, same, same. We've gotten some really low temps here in South Carolina, like below freezing and that doesn't normally happen this early in the year for us normally norm i should say in the season because it's actually quite late in the year isn't it but mm -hmm. i it normally doesn't happen this late in this or yeah this early in the season normally we don't see those kind of temperatures until like december at the earliest january um so these are january february temps for us so it's very strange but Anyway, it kind of is what it is. Yeah, I'm hugging. I'm literally hugging a radiator. So, yeah, yeah. We've it's gotten, right down by my, it's right down by my side, and yeah. I'm hugging it. We've gotten some. We're back to more normal temps recently, so we'll see. Hopefully, we'll. Well, hopefully, we'll get some. We're we're forecast to have more snow this year, so maybe that'll keep the bugs in hell where they belong. I don't know. Yes. I don't think we're for, um, they keep on saying, oh, you're going to have snow, you're going to have snow, but they're forecasting for further north because mm. I live right on the south coast. And to be honest, if we get snow, it turns to ice very quickly and it makes the road conditions horrific. Mm -hmm. So we're loads of people say, oh, I really want a white Christmas. I had my white Christmas in 1992 and I don't want another one. The closest thing I've ever had to a white Christmas, I think, was the date after Christmas we had snow and that has been in the last that has been in the last several like the last 10-15 years so yeah but I, I'm good enough I'm calling that my white Christmas that's fine well yeah that's the thing yeah. isn't it I mean my my white Christmas to be fair I was living in a mountain range village in Austria so <laughs> it was bound to be we had like 16 inches of snow and minus 22 degrees so it was cold that's minus 22 degrees fahrenheit not celsius or is it celsius not fahrenheit i never know but it was cold and but we didn't have a, a coastal wind mm -hmm. and here every, the temperature feels a lot colder because of the coastal breezes we get mm -hmm. our temperatures here tend to be a little bit exaggerated as well because of of the either the wind chill or or the heat index because our heat index often pumps things up in the in the most of the year but you know it is what it is I've, this is winter yeah. <laughs> it we are oh, you think about it next week we are actually starting december next is it next sunday something like that yeah we head right into december so we are getting very very close to the winter months any well to christmas oh god mm. <laughs> and of course next week you've got the wonder that is thanksgiving Thanksgiving, it's my favorite it's my favorite i love thanksgiving all the fun of good food and hanging with the family although i may have to get pick my plate up and leave the room this year um um all that fun but no gift pressure 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 so that's nice for me because I just, yeah, I it, I find gift giving very stressful. 
Yeah. I like, I like to give gifts and I like to receive gifts, of course, but it is to me very stressful because what if they don't like it and I've got to come up with something and, oh, I think I'll do a handmade gift. But then again, how much time do I have left? You know, that kind of thing. So Yeah. It's also, it's also seeing your bank balance dwindle so much more dramatically than it does at any other point in the year. I think that Christmas does offer an incredible amount of stress. Mm-hmm. Birthdays, while you're concerned that somebody isn't going to like it at the same time, you haven't got the pressure of buying 15, 20 presents all in one go, wrapping them all, transporting them all, mm-hmm. and then sitting there and hoping that you've got the right Lego set. Right, because that is going to be opened in front of the entire family. Yes, oh, I know. And then you'll have someone say, but I've already got this, or I just bought this for myself. (laughs) That doesn't happen very often in our family, but okay. (laughs) It's November, which means that for a a multitude, millions probably, of writers across the world, you've all sat down at your computer and gone, ooh, NaNoWriMo, let's sign up. I know I did. For the fourth time in four years, I went to the Nano site in probably early October and went no I'm not going to sign up how many times did I say to you I'm not going to sign up this year I don't want to venture a guess but how many times did I say after after I'd done it last year and failed how many times did I say to you definitely not going to do it definitely not going to do it definitely not going to do it yeah and I still signed up and needless to say I'm Three weeks in, well, it's day 23 of November. We have literally got a week left, and I have written about 13,000 words, none of which they could, I mean, to be honest, I could have literally sat down and written 13,000, 13,000, 13,000, 13,000 times, and it would have made more sense than what I have actually written. So, (laughs) So writing is a process that loads of people aspire to. I mean, loads. You you love writing. I love writing. Probably loads of you listening love writing. But it's stressful. Would you agree? It is one of the most stressful things that I do or I've done. And, and you're a mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, in some ways I kind of hesitate to get too deep in the weeds on this. But at the same time, it's a concern. And I had, did not do Nano. I've never officially signed up for Nano. You did. I didn't officially did sign one. up. Did I you know? I thought you did. I don't think I officially signed up. Because I was buddies with you. Were the year we? Last. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The you actually finished last. that year too, though. I know. I don't know how I managed it. <laughs> you did finish it though. I just have. I mean, I and I, I knew coming out of that that I could not realistically do it because of all the pressures I have especially during November I just can't do it then um and there's never a good quote-unquote good month for me but I I think I just have to make a priority of it and and maybe that might be our theme you know you really have to make a priority of it but at the same time you have to be super flexible right you found that this year so could you talk to me a little bit about that like what happened to get you to the point where you're like, crap, I really need to be more flexible. What happened? (laughs) Well, I think with me, the problem was I'd sit there and the first, I had a good first few days. I managed my 1600 words plus 
you're supposed to write 1,667 words per day across 30 days to get to 50,000 words. If you write more than that, then fantastic. If you write less than that, you need to catch up. But it's putting that pressure on. Mm -hmm. The problem I have and a lot of people have is the minute you start saying, I've got to do it, all determination just goes, (sighs) it completely dies a death. And that's what happened with me and has happened for the last couple of years, to be fair. I've sat there and I've gone, I'm super enthusiastic. I've got a really good story. My problem last year was I hugely overplanned it. I had so many ideas. I knew exactly where I wanted to go for the six months up, running up to Nano. I was writing character studies, doing research. I got loads of books out of the library. I was joining various online sites and writing various tester starter paragraphs. You name it, I did it last year. And then I think I managed something ridiculous like 5,000 words before I realized it wasn't going to happen. This year, I've gone down the route of I'm not going to reach 50,000. I know, not even deep down in my heart of hearts, I'm not going to reach 50,000. I know it no matter what. I've reached 13,000 on day 23. It's not going to change. Well, it will change, but it won't change so much that I reach 50. And I've realized that I need to be forgiving of myself. I think my problem at the moment is focus. Sure. So that flexibility comes into play when you think, well, okay, so I can't focus right now. Maybe make a few handwritten notes, see if you can push the story along, maybe create another character that's going to work really well in it, something, anything that's going to help you when you actually get that determination, that drive, that enthusiasm back. But I think nano is a good thing for a lot of people. It really is. But if you can't write the rest of the year and you literally save it all up for that one 30-day month, are you doing yourself a disservice? I know that I'm doing myself a disservice, but then maybe Nano, even though I've signed up four years in a row, isn't for me. Maybe Mm. it's for other people that have that focus that can literally sit down and devote 30 days, especially evenings in the winter, to doing nothing but write. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? The other thing I've noticed is that I actually am a member of a couple of different nano groups and like on Facebook. Yeah. There is one group, geographically speaking, that's fairly close to me that they'll have write-ins or whatnot. And when I was writing more frequently, I did find that there were some groups around here that I never really got involved in, but I did find there were some groups around here that had, you know, uh, butt in chair, hands on keyboard, fingers on keyboard days. Like, so basically they would get together and do sprints. Yeah. And we found they've worked. Yes. We, we are able to, if we can find the time together to sit down and, and just go, we can do things like we, we can do this, but it is tricky. I mean, it really is. I I think people don't realize just how difficult it can be. That's the thing. I mean, For me, location-wise, my closest group is, as I don't drive, which my company find quite amusing but if um because I don't drive my trans um the the closest meetings to me are two hours away on public transport yeah but that's the 
but that's the closest community for me and I've tried in the past to arrange things a little bit closer mm-hmm. but it never happens it's mm. because there, there are very few places I live in a small town that has a pubs are open really late but coffee bars and places where you can meet and libraries especially aren't so when everything shuts at seven o'clock and you don't finish work until five thirty, you want to go home and eat something before you go out so meeting outside of that time is really difficult and you reach that point where which is fair enough everyone's going oh I'm going to the write-in there's a write-in today for example but it's two hours away so that's two hours there two hours home and three hours at the write-in that is seven hours of my day to get in potentially three or four thousand words maybe Mm. so the commitment you need that kind of commitment as well I think some of the things that people forget is um, counties aren't necessarily tiny well, I think counties in the UK are more like some states in the United States. So, Especially when it comes to public transport. Mm-hmm. That's tricky. Really tricky. Yeah, so, so that kind of flexibility doesn't exist mm-hmm. for those who aren't able to make the write-ins. They do these things in chat rooms and stuff. But as we both know, when we do a sprint, the last thing we need is to be chatting to each other. Mm-mm. we literally for the duration of the sprint don't talk mm-hmm. but the companionship when you're a physical write-in is different I've never done that before I did a single physical write-in and I actually wrote 5,000 words and it was the only write-in I managed to organize locally to me but mm-hmm. people don't seem to be if they live far enough away from the lo- from the local write-in they don't seem to be bothered about it so much. Mm-hmm. So when you try and arrange ones further away, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. It's just what it, I think that's the problem. You need to find a community of writers close to you. Mm-hmm. But I think also maybe sometimes while nano is great for a lot of people, you need to find the method that works for you as well. Mm-hmm. So it might well not. It might well be that November is a really bad month for whatever reason. You've got family birthdays in the UK. We don't have Thanksgiving, so it's not so much of a problem. But you have family events. You've got busy time at work. You've got it's dark. It's cold. It's depressing. Who wants to leave their home after they've got in after a long day at work? That the, the kind fl- of thing. The, the flip side of that, though, is. It's dark, it's cold, it's depressing. Why go out? <laughs> so you can sit yeah. and you can write. So um, so clearly this is it's tricky, but yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, what happened with you this year. What um, you did you have a change of of plot? Is that what happened? No, it wasn't so much a change of plot, though there was a tiny one, but that was. The minute you start writing, things change. You know that from writing everything you've written. It was more change in situation at work, at um, things in my personal life changed mm-hmm. quite a lot. Sort of mid-October, I'd already signed up for Nano. Things started to change. Um, and my personal life got a little bit more complicated. Not in a bad, well... <laughs> I'm saying not in a bad way. It wasn't a great way. And things at work changed. 
got very very busy so loads of stuff is going on and I get home at quarter to seven uh, quarter to six in the evening and I'm tired I literally have reached the point where I'm not a spring chicken any longer I wish I were and I get home and I sit on the sofa and I watch a bit of TV and then I go to bed and I'm in bed by half past eight wow I know, isn't that sad? Um, no, but it's, it's just, I mean, I get it. It's the only warm room in the house. So. I get it, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's it's warm in there, and then I get all cosy and comfy and watch a couple of Bon Appetit videos on YouTube, and then I go to sleep listening to the radio, and all my drive has just gone... No, you didn't want to write today, really, did you? And I've managed maybe 500 words, mostly on the bus, on the way to and from work on my phone, and that's been it. Hmm. And then I say to myself, oh, tomorrow I'll do some more. And tomorrow comes and I do exactly the same as I did the day before. Oh, mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. Do you think, why do you think that is? Do you think um, you're not particularly enamored of your idea this year? What do you think is well, going actually, on? I really like my idea this year. So I don't think it's the idea. It's just that I had a, a very bad depressive episode earlier this year. And I think that's affected me more than I realized. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things, because that was only, that was only six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so many things happened that, I mean, shifted my perspective. I really love the idea I've got. And I know that given the time, I will write it, possibly. Um, You're talking to the girl who has got probably 10 unfinished novels sitting in a folder. But I will get around to it. I think that this year, maybe every year that I've done NaNo, I've sat there and I've put myself under the pressure to write it. And the minute I put the pressure on myself... I don't want to do it. It's kind of like when I used to study. Mm-hmm. When I was studying, I didn't want to do it. I'd write, I'd literally do it to the deadline and submit my essay on the online portal at 10 to midnight when the deadline was midnight. And that would be the point where I'd want to write. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write when I was working to the deadline on something more important. So I always get the urge to write when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm writing about the late, the um the latest statistics on reliability of Mercedes Benz. So, <laughs> and I suddenly have a really good idea and I can't do anything about it. Except maybe jot it down on a side pad and press on. Yeah, and press exactly. So you you there's that conflict of I need to do my job and I really want to write. <laughs> it's called procrastination. But anyway. Oh yes, it is. I'm queen of that. I always have been. Anywho. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So you've definitely, you have been successful at NaNo before. You have. Yes. You know that you can do it. I was unemployed. Hmm? I didn't have a job. The year I succeeded, I didn't have a job. So it was your job, basically. Yeah, that and searching for a new job. And occasionally I'd be going to interviews and things, but I was unemployed the year 
that I did nano successfully, that I completed my 50,000 words. I think I got 50,033 words, but I completed. Mm -hmm. No, I've never completed it at all. So um, you've written, these have been original fix, right? That you're writing on nano. Okay. Do you think that that's part of the problem or one of the challenges? Not problem, but do you think that's one of the challenges is that it's an original fic as opposed to a fanfic? I cursed the day I started writing fanfic. Okay. Um, (laughs) I love it. Yeah, because I used to write original. I used to write originals. In fact, I've actually got a completed original that I wrote when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. It was 106 typed, large, that's the thing. We we used to have... um, weird paper sizes on the daisy wheel printer and i actually used the daisy wheel printer on my manual typewriter the daisy wheel printer paper on my manual typewriter so it's an odd shape an odd size but i've got 106 pages and it's an estimated 75,000 words that i wrote when i was 14 a completed novel mm-hmm. and it's original mm-hmm. the day i got into fanfic my not my creativity, because you still have to have it, but I think my desire to write original stuff kind of dissipated somewhat. Really? Okay. Yeah. I found it easy to write fanfic. Okay. The dark, the darker, deeper stuff that I write, that I wrote when I really got established in fandoms, that is more, that is closer to the original writing than the stuff, the fluffy, frilly stuff that I write maybe 2,000 to 5,000 word short stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is that bad? No, it's just, it is what it is. So one of the things that you wanted to talk about, how not all writers are angsty or not all things are angsty. Talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> well, the, I think... The thing that a lot of people associate with writing, you think about writers like Byron and, well, poets really, Byron, Coleridge, Shelley, Mm -hmm. they were all, (laughs) they were emo, really, they were their era's emo and you look at the interpretation of a lot of the writers, I mean, Charles Dickens had a lot of comedy in his writing, Mm -hmm. but it was also quite dark. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you look at, um, uh, I I suppose in a way, Stephanie Mayer, Suzanne Collins, all of these authors, a lot of their writing is quite depressive, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And it's not happy, joy, joy. It's not like the chick chick lit that we read. So Jenny Colgan and Jill Mansell, though there was some, some sadness in there. It was quite happy and... They found their happily ever after and they found their ideal soulmate and everything else. You read a lot of this stuff and it's quite dark. And I, in fact, I look at the forums on Nano this year and they're writing Regency, horror, science fiction, and it's all pretty dystopian. So you'd be forgiven for thinking that every single writer is a bit angsty. Mm-hmm. However, there have also been studies did um, a load of research for a paper that I that I was editing for um, a, 
a medical writer who was doing work on manic depression Mm-hmm. which is now known as bipolar disorder but back in the 90s it was manic depression and there was a connection between creativity like writing specifically and depression mm-hmm. that states that many of those who have the ability to write or have the desire to write actually have a depressive disorder of some kind which I found quite interesting suffering as I do from a depressive disorder. Wow, that's interesting. Um, it's very interesting. So in some ways, then the, the fluff would be easier to or more difficult to write if you suffer from something like bipolar disorder or something like that, then that at least at times. Well, yeah, because your brain doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Always. Right. No, that makes sense. People tend to enjoy the angst, I think. I don't know. It makes for some instant drama. Um, and so and maybe people identify with it. Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, I was over here wincing when you were listing the poets because I remember that class in college. <laughs> I actually like Byron. And Shelley mm. used to live down here. Mm. Right. And so... <laughs> Byron did have a few problems. I mean, he was in love with his sister, but he did bring computers into the world in many ways. Right. That's not a story I know. I've always thought about computers as being sort of coming from the mills where they... Ada Lovelace. Do what? Ada Lovelace, who was one of the first computer programmers before we had computers, was Byron's daughter. Oh, 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 okay. So, sorry. (laughs) That makes more (laughs) sense. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So... Well, okay. So when we talk about this podcast really does focus on romance. Hi, romance isn't dead, right? So by its nature, a lot of romance is happily ever after, at least the romance that I prefer is happily ever (laughs) after. And I, I, my husband got snarky or I got snarky with my husband because I, we pulled um, some books out from under our bed and or something. And it it included a few Kathleen Woodowis books, the books that I just haven't gotten rid of and I don't want to get rid of. And he made some comment about my attraction. I was also like, excuse me, those are female, female power fantasies. And I will thank you never to call them trashy again. And he was like, how are they not trashy romance novels? I was like, what do you, he was like, what do you even mean by female power fantasies? And I was like, are you really serious right now? And I mean, I like kind of went yeah. into it with him. But that I think, but, I do think that a lot of men have an issue with it because maybe it is, because of course it is fantasy for women to have mm-hmm. a man come in on a white steed, sweep them off their feet, treat them like a queen and be wonderful to them. And we will be discussing this when we go on to, to when we talk about the book, the new Kathleen, the Catherine Coulter that we have for next week, because that is definitely a big power play in that particular novel. However, it is that whole fantasy thing for women to have a man. But you think about it, especially modern women today, we are incredibly independent. We are very, very take charge in our own lives, or most of us are. 
many of us are still single, such as myself. Um, so we have to do everything for ourselves. There is no man to come in and change the washer on our tap. Um, that would be nice. Anybody want to come and change the washer on my kitchen tap? I will heartily welcome them into my home to do it. Bake because cookies, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am so sick of it dripping. But that kind of thing is, that's what women want. However, when you think about the Chicklet novels, they start with, I mean, one of the ones I read not that long ago basically started with the disaster of her, she was with a, a boyfriend who clearly wasn't really for her. And she got very drunk with a friend and wrote an email that she didn't intend to send. But sat there and wrote this email about how she didn't like her partner's mother found her interfering didn't like working for her so on and so forth and to cut story short she ended it ended up getting sent by somebody else who she left her computer open her brother brought a friend back for the evening he was staying at her house and sent this email and it went to everybody and her life exploded mm-hmm so it starts with maybe that whole big mistake turns into happy ending. Mm-hmm. So it's not all happy, happy, joy, joy, but at the same time, they're overcoming something. Mm-hmm. So it's a battle that they have, whether it's a physical battle or a mental one or emotional even, mm-hmm. to get on with the next phase in their lives. It's almost like they're starting afresh. But it's not necessarily about being rescued. It is also about being like someone being willing to be what you need them to be. Whether that's being rescued, okay, and that's totally valid, or someone who is a helpmate, someone who um, views you as a partner as opposed to a subservient, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. So and cer- certainly with historical romances, the idea is hopefully the, the hero winds up looking at the heroine as a partner as opposed to, you know, little woman. Does like that make ransom. sense? Right. So that's, that's one of the things where I think we need to understand too, that, that people like when we're reading our romance novels, it's it's about partnership as opposed to the other ownership and and it's kind of interesting i think romance sort of changes through time but which is why in the 1980s you had a lot of these that today a lot of people find problematic but that's what if you, it makes sense like historically in the context of the 1980s where women are trying to knock down the glass ceiling and they're, you know what I mean? There's all the social and societal things happening that you have to take into account when you're reading a romance written in 1984. Yeah. I was going to say a perfect example of that, I think, is the futuristic novels that Joanna Lindsay wrote mm-hmm. where Tedrida R the main character in her futuristic the star of the trilogy is um an, a scientific explorer who ends up going to this planet where the men are in charge and the women are the chattel mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she's very very um independent and doesn't like the idea of being subservient and then you watch and then it, it ties in almost in a way to working girl the movie with Melanie Griffiths came out about the same time mm-hmm. where she's trying to break through the glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but they all but I think probably the most famous line from that is I've got a mind for business and a body for sin Mm. nice yeah but that is the that is exactly how things were men interpreted how you looked as how you were Mm. without taking Mm. into account that women were educated women weren't all stupid even if they didn't ha- hadn't had a job before they'd run a home they'd raise children so they'd help them with their homework they organized mm. the financial budget and all these other things so there was that independence it just wasn't so blatant and mm. these days we want to be more in charge mm-hmm. well you know what have you found as a gen xer that writing <laughs> today do you do you let modern society conventions maybe no. um, get into no you don't okay. i don't it sounds awful but i find it still it makes things far more stilted and unrealistic mm. i know that we we've, we've had the discussion before about the whole consent thing I think if you need to write it in so blatantly, we didn't we read a novel a couple of weeks ago where it was so blatant it felt like it had been literally copied and pasted into the paragraph. Shoehorned in somehow. Yeah, it had been. And I don't like that kind of thing because I think it takes you out of the story. Maybe that's a discussion you have at an earlier point in your relationship. Mm-hmm. what is and isn't acceptable so it's not a, a conversation you're lying in bed about to get it on and all of a sudden you're having the are you saying yes conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fair fair okay see and for me I find modern conventions a little paralyzing and so I find it a little difficult to write because I have a hard time getting it out of my head and I don't know exactly why but I do have a hard time getting that stuff out of my head is it maybe because we neither of us dated when that was something while that was something that was happening if you think about it I mean you've been married for this is I'm working on year 13 yeah and I got married late Uh, yeah I would say that that is yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that 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 could be true because I haven't. I mean, I haven't dated in this century. God, that's sad. Um, but <laughs> in this century, wow. No, I haven't dated in this century. I know, and we're twenty. We're nearly twenty years in, but I haven't dated in this century. And I think my issue with it is when I was in going into clubs and things we were still in the 1990s and if somebody touched you in a way you didn't like you slapped them you didn't take them to court you slapped them told them that that was not acceptable and then walked away do you think women aren't doing that anymore i think no well i read a case in um i was reading the newspaper as you do on the way to work one day and there was this this boy who touched a girl got something ridiculous he got a suspended sentence for abuse right he hadn't done anything physical to her or anything but this girl 
uh, reported it to the police as assault because he touched her. And I, I think that I don't, I really don't like saying this, but I think we're getting too sensitive. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions and other people have got to take responsibility for their own actions. But when you start saying, well, that person touched me and I want them prosecuted for it, I do think we've got to start taking a step back and saying, really, can I not, should I not have just said, no, I don't like this, this is not acceptable, don't do it, and walk away. Um, me. Right, no, okay. So I think there's a lot of things at play there that we probably need to unpack. But first of all, I would say, is this, did he brush her arm or did he touch her breast? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a serious question that needs to be addressed there. Secondly, people need to take response. You're right. People need to take responsibility for their own actions. And I think women now are really pushing for men to take responsibility for their actions. And this actually kind of gets into, um, a massive. <laughs> yeah. But a book that, that, the book that we're reading for next, uh, the next session, um, it, we really have to kind of tackle that. And this, that book as well, in terms of, um, do, why aren't we teaching our sons or why aren't you teaching your sons? Cause you've you know, got daughters. I've got daughters. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I teach my daughters not to be victims, but also at the same time, I have to expect that my fellow moms are teaching their sons not to be predators. Yeah. Right. So I think there's a lot. So to that's unpack. an education thing. There's a lot to unpack in that. So, and maybe this podcast isn't the best place to unpack <laughs> it, but I think, I think there is a certain amount of, yeah, we all need to be responsible for our own actions. And sometimes maybe it feels like it's going a little far in the opposite direction in terms of we're pushing too much responsibility, but I don't know. It's tricky. It's really tricky. But but then people do know right from wrong. They I mean, I know do. what's right and I know what's wrong. So ultimately, Most of the time, yes, you need, you need to right take wrong. a step back and say, well, is what I want to do right? If the answer is no or not sure, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I really want to take a pen from work. I don't. This is just a hypothetical. I really want to take a pen from work. Does it belong to me? No. Then I don't take it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of thing with, I really like that girl and I want to squeeze her butt. Is she going to like it? Probably not. Then don't do it. Instead, maybe just go introduce yourself. Yeah, exactly. Just go and say, hi, hi. Can I buy you a drink? Do you want to talk? I really think you're lovely, whatever. And yeah, exactly. The same is in a way, it's kind of what we did in the 90s. Though uh, admittedly in the 90s, people did get a bit more touchy-feely. But it is kind of, yeah, (laughs) you're rolling your eyes right now. But it's true, they did in the clubs. They'd get a little bit more touchy-feely. I was in grad school in the 90s, man. Yeah. Oh, my. Those are stories I'm not telling my daughters. But then you put your own boundaries on it. Yes. If you don't like what somebody's doing, you tell them, Mm -hmm. don't like it, and you move away. Mm -hmm. You don't put you put yourself in that situation in the first place. You've got to take take some responsibility. But at the ultimately, you can then say, look, I don't like the way this is going. I don't want this, and move away. If the guy then doesn't take any notice of it, then go and report it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think, too, we also want, again, so much to unpack. Um, I think we also do want to avoid blaming the victim. Again, this is going to come up in the yeah. next book. But it's just because blaming the victim infuriates me every darn time. So, and I think part of that is just historical. But yeah. anyway. All right. So back to writing. <laughs> well, back to writing. So apparently we've discussed wait, everything, what? everything but but writing here in the last few minutes. But we have been talking about writing because how does society affect what we write? Right? Yes. Exactly. And all of these things, especially when you're writing romance, do come into play Mm -hmm. because you have to think, am I going to write about, am I going to write an epic scene about consent or am I going to write an epic scene about the mental state of this character that she's, he or she is functional enough to make the right decision or the decision that is right for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, a lot of that mental state of the writer comes into play a lot Mm -hmm. I know that when I didn't take my medication I was writing far more and far more productively but everything I wrote was incredibly dark Um, it's not going (laughs) well I mean but it was it stuff you could use right I I have actually used it it was incredibly dark incredibly um the characters went into very, very low places in their own mental state because that's how I was. And I think that your own state of mind has an important, is an important influence on what you write. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling very, very low and you're about to write a death scene or a murder scene, go for it because you are really going to be able to draw on your own feelings. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily experience, I hope not experience, but... Um, you're going to be able to draw on your own level of emotion at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps. Yeah. Well, one thing I do want to say, though, um, and this is, I guess, ten- only tangentially related. I really do want to emphasize that if you enjoy or find catharsis in reading or writing any kind of fiction, I would encourage you to do it because fiction is a safe place to explore things that you wouldn't do. So if it's stealing the pen from work, right? Fiction mm-hmm. is a safe place to steal the pen from work. Um, and you, I'm could not, have an entire, you could have an entire cupboard of them. Right. Or you could be like the character in office space with the stapler. Right. So, <laughs> so don't, don't judge yourself um, as a writer or as a reader from for enjoying a specific element in fiction that you may or may not enjoy or approve of in real life. That's all I'm saying. And, and as a writer, that's something I need to work on because I like, I'm judging myself by these modern standards and not recognizing that what I'm writing is actually just a safe space to explore maybe the darker part of my psyche or whatever that, that I think we all need to, to at least grapple with because it's a shadow within ourselves. And so we probably need to accept that about ourselves. And so, and so if we are able to, and not to dig into psychological stuff, (laughs) um, like I'm not trying to be Robert Bly, but we all do have, you know, sort of a shadow that we need to sort of handle to deal with. And I think we need to be very kind to ourselves and understand that fiction is a safe space. Yeah. It's like, it's like what you do with your Sims characters. mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If you're a gamer and you like Sims, for example, mm-hmm. and there is somebody at work that you cannot stand, it's far safer to kill them in Sims than it is to kill them in real life. And I would encourage you not kill them in real life. Yes, same I here. 100% encourage you not to do that. But I would also encourage you not to judge others based on the fiction that they enjoy, um, especially when they enjoy, you know, enemies to lovers tropes. I'm sorry, I'm getting into my personal, I'm getting judged by. <laughs> my bad. <sighs> I have no judgment on enemies to lovers tropes. In fact, it was, there's a current question. I think it's a current quiz on BuzzFeed that says, we can estimate, we can guess the year you were kissed, how old you were when you were first kissed by your favorite trope genres mm-hmm. in romance movies. And enemies to lovers was one of them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so we're sharing a bed. There's only one bed. That was There's another only one. one bed. Yes. There was only <laughs> See, one there, bed. That's the thing. I think that's the thing with writing. You need to spread your wings and try what you feel comfortable with. It may take months and months, if not years, of experimentation to find the genre you want to write in, how you want your characters to develop. Do you want it to be dark? Do you want it to be happy and light and joyful all the time do you want a happy ever after or do you want to write a series all of those things they are your personal decision don't let them be dictated to by the reviews you send for other books that have a similar storyline or plot it's your story your plot don't plagiarize though really don't plagiarize but it is your story your characters your ideas and your time do it if you want to do it honestly it's probably been the most cathartic thing I've ever done. And I've been mm-hmm. writing since I was about nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been chit-chatting here for a while, so we should probably call it a day. Uh, Ray, where can people find us on the podcast? Uh, people can find us at Podbean. Uh, they can find us. Now I'm really, really stuck. Um, Romance not dead.podbean.com they can also find us on twitter our account is pretty active in fact if you're a podcast or you just love romance we've got quite a few authors following us which is incredible and we do get involved in the chats on there there are some really fun podcasts to follow as well and we're at isn romance on twitter which is as i said pretty active i'm at all about ray r-a-y-e on twitter and sally where can they find you i am palmetto blue on twitter and on instagram i really don't uh instagram much about the podcast you will or or really even tweet a whole lot but but if you engage with me i will 100 engage with you on either of those two platforms and how would we like to sign out today ray i'd like to say keep on searching for your happily ever after And I would remind you, as always, romance isn't dead. It's alive and well on your bookshelf. Bye. Bye.